So, this is the third Sunday of Advent, and uh, as, as God would arrange it, uh, third Sunday of Advent, the theme is joy. Uh, the joy of Advent is the joy of the Lord. It's God's joy. It's not, not our joy. We think of joy, we're thinking about uh, you know, a feeling or an emotion when you say you feel joyful or you want joy. A lot of times we're thinking about that euphoric feeling that you have when things go incredibly right. Uh, but that's really not the joy that we're talking about. The joy of the Lord is much more than that. Uh, joy as an emotion or a feeling is dependent on conditions. You know, if this happens or that happens, if it goes this way or that way, then I'll have joy. Uh, but sometimes life doesn't go well. Uh, life, sometimes uh, life can be an irritant. At other times, it can be tragic. Uh, human joy is dependent on circumstances, but the joy of the Lord is not. Uh, in law, circumstantial evidence uh, relies on inference to connect it to a conclusion. Uh, that means that there are steps between what you know and what you decide. The biblical definition of joy says that joy is a feeling of good pleasure and happiness that is dependent on who Jesus is. Think about that. Joy, the biblical definition of God's joy, is a feeling of good pleasure and happiness that is dependent on who Jesus is rather than on who we are or what is happening around us. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from abiding in Him. It comes from believing His promises. It, believes. it comes from immersing yourself in His Word. The joy of the Lord is based on the direct evidence of Jesus. It's not circumstantial. It's direct evidence, the direct evidence of who Jesus is. The joy of the Lord is not conditional. The joy of the Lord is not conditional. It's yours. If you're his, it's yours because it is a character. It's an attribute of God. Ultimately, our trust or our belief in who Jesus is trumps everything, really. It has the power to trump feelings, failures, hurts, disappointments, and even tragedy. Job says in 13, 15, though he slay me, I will trust him. So is it okay then to, to want that other joy? Is it okay to pray, you know, for circumstances to go well? Is it okay to, to pray that, you know, you would have the experience of that euphoria that comes when circumstances are good? Yeah. You can pray for that. You can ask for that. Just don't depend on it. Is it important for us to know the difference between the two? I would say yes. Because circumstances in life will change. Sometimes things will go really well. Sometimes things will go really well for a long time, and then unexpectedly things will turn. Unexpectedly, like a virus could, just theoretically, a virus could happen. 
Yeah. Circumstances of life change. Seasons of life change, but the Lord does not change. God doesn't change, and his, his word endures forever. The joy of the Lord comes to us as we trust in him and abide in him. When circumstances tempt us to doubt or question the goodness of God, trusting in who he is will allow us to have joy. Not the joy that the world talks about, but the joy of the Lord. Even in suffering, even in difficulty or disappointment, even in failure, even in betrayal, you can experience the joy of the Lord. Our access to joy is trust. The truth is we, we, don't, we don't have a joy problem. We have a trust problem. We have a trust problem. John 14, 1, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. Now, raise your hand if you think trusting is easy. <laughs> right. <laughs> trusting is not easy. It's not. Uh, pain is real and disappointment is real. And sometimes on a live stream, you just have to say that there are moments when life sucks. Brendan Manning said, to be grateful for unanswered prayer, to give thanks in a state of interior desolation, to trust in the love of God in the face of marvels, cruel circumstances, obscenities, and commonplaces of life is to whisper a doxology in the darkness. Trusting comes from learning, really, to see life from God's perspective instead of ours. It really does. Uh, so Joseph and Mary, they took Jesus to the temple. He was about 12. They took him to the temple, and they did their thing. And then it came time to go home, and they started the journey home. And a day into the journey, they realized Jesus is not there. Now, I can tell you how this would have gone down in my house. When we discovered that one of our children was missing, my wife would have said, Jesus, I'm counting to three, and you better be here. One, two, and he would have been there. But that's not what happened. Joseph and Mary, they realized, they started asking the family and friends, Where, you know, have y'all seen Jesus? You know, we've been on the road for a whole day. no. Nobody's seen Jesus. Nobody knows where Jesus is. They go back to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. Y'all, they look for him for three days. He's gone. Jesus is gone for four days. Four days. And when they find him in the temple with all the Bible scholars, all the learned ones, they say, Jesus We've been worried sick. Why didn't you tell us? You know what he said? You should have known. 
I'm telling you right now, that, that answer's not flying in my house. But this is what Jesus says. He looks at his, Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents, he looks at them and he says, you should have known that I would be in my father's house. You should have seen this from my perspective. You only saw it from yours. The disciples are with Jesus, they're in a boat. And Jesus is napping, because naps are holy, y'all. I will have one today, hopefully. Jesus is napping in the boat and, and a storm just comes up. It's a sudden, sudden storm. And they're terrified. And they wake Jesus up and they say, Lord, don't you care? Let me just stop right there and ask you, is there anyone in this room who has never prayed that prayer. I have prayed that prayer. You know, when the circumstances didn't line up with what I thought they should, the way I thought things should go, the circumstances don't line up, I have said, God, are you sleeping again? Don't you care? And Jesus wakes up calms the storm, looks at the disciples and says, why were you afraid? Do you still not have faith? In other words, why are you still seeing this from your perspective instead of seeing it from mine? John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and he said to the people, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He said about Jesus, there is one coming who is so much better than me, I'm not even worthy to unstrap his sandals. And then after Jesus is baptized, John is arrested and he's thrown in jail. And he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? You know why I asked that? Because Jesus wasn't doing what John thought he should be doing. In John's mind, when Jesus comes, when the Messiah arrives, good people don't go to jail anymore. Are you the one? We thought you were the one. I said to the whole world, you're the one. Are you the one, or should we look for another one? And Jesus says, you go tell John. Blind people see. Lame people walk. Deaf people hear. Dead people are raised again. And the poor hear the good news. Are you going to see this from your perspective, or are you going to learn to see it? From mine. So how? How do we learn to trust? How do we learn to live our lives really from God's perspective rather than just being trapped in our own? I'll just give you a couple of ways. Well, four ways. Number one, prayer. 
prayer. And, and by that, I don't mean just ask for it. I mean prayer as a way of life because prayer is the thing. Holy conversation with God is the thing that will show you who he is, perhaps more than any other thing. Drawing near to him, being intimate with God, having this intimate, holy conversation with God will enlighten you to who he is. We often ask for clarity. I don't know if you've prayed for clarity before. I, I have. I've prayed for clarity. I've prayed for other people to have clarity. <laughs> when we ask for clarity, you know what we're really asking? God, would you just eliminate all the things that would make trusting you necessary? <laughs> just show me what's actually going to happen so I don't have to trust so much. Show me. Explain to me. You see, prayer teaches us to trust not so much by answering questions as it does by allowing us to know the person of Christ. When you know him, you will trust him. I used to hunt with my grandfather when I was a little kid. And uh, we spent countless hours in the woods. We would get out of his car and we would walk into the woods. And guess what I would do? I would follow him. I would follow him into the woods with no idea where we were or how to get out. But I, I never feared. I never felt lost. I never wondered where we were because I trusted him. And so I went where he went. Prayer. It's in the place of intimacy with Christ that we begin to really believe in his goodness. David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. And we look at David's life and we go, whose idea was it to call David a man after God's own heart? I mean, look at his sin. Look at the things that he did. Whose idea was it? It was God's idea. <laughs> it was God's idea to call him that. Perhaps it was because David trusted God. It could be that his trust in God was the thing that endeared him to the Lord and caused him to call him a man after my own heart. Psalm 56, 3 and 4 says, When I am most afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I put my trust, fearing nothing. What can people do to me? <laughs> Psalm 26, 1. My trust in God never wavers. Psalm 44, 40, verse 4. Happy is the one who trusts in God. Psalm 52, 9. I mean to thank you constantly for doing what you did, and put my trust in your name. That is so full of kindness in the presence of those who love you. Psalm 52, 8. I, for my part, like an olive tree growing in the house of God, put my trust in God's love forever and ever. Drawing near to God 
in intimate conversation, we're reminded of how loving he is, of how good he is. God is that parent that we typically don't like. Really. Think about it. You know, you have friends. You know, their kids never do anything wrong. Right? All they do is just brag on their kids all the time. They just brag on their kids. And they never see the bad things that their kids do. God's that kind of parent. I I hate to break it to you. God is that kind of parent. The, one, the parent that you've complained about in your little friends group. God is that one because he looks at you and he sees Jesus. And he says, oh, she is so good. <laughs> he is so awesome. And you're going, but God, what about? And he's like, what about? The what about, we ran into it when we were trying to read the prayer and the cross got in the way. (laughs) That cross, if you're careful, if you're not careful, the cross will get in the way, (laughs) y'all. Is he God? Is he in charge? Is he able? Is he good? If the answer to those questions is yes, then we should trust him. And the more we know, the more we trust. The more we trust, the less we question and doubt and fear. We we learn to trust in the place of prayer. We, We learn to trust in the place of gratitude. Perhaps the most essential quality for trusting, for a trusting person is gratitude. Not just gratitude for the good things in our lives. It's it's easy to be thankful for the good things. Um, But when you can zoom out and see your life as a whole, the good things, the bad things, the boring things, the stressful things, the exciting things, you can see it all, every bit of it. See your life as a whole and be thankful. That's gratitude. And and grateful people are fun to be around. Psalm 107 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Brennan Manning said, The foremost quality of a trusting disciple is gratefulness. You know what the opposite of gratefulness is? Grumbling. Now, St. Benedict, when he was writing the rules for his community, one of the rules was when a monk complains too much, we will send two stout monks to explain it to him. That sounds like a plan. That sounds like a church planting strategy. It could be that one of the truest tests of trust is can I be thankful for unanswered prayer? Can I be grateful 
in the midst of difficulty. David Stendhal Rast said, the root of joy is gratefulness. It is not joy that makes us grateful. It is gratitude that makes us joyful. Joy born of trust is deeper than emotion or good feelings because it exists in the worst of times. It has been said that one of the surest ways to avoid being happy is to insist on being happy at all costs. Third, we learn to trust by living in community. By having people around us uh, to correct us, to hold us accountable, but also to encourage us, to speak life into us, true community does not deny our pain, but it helps us to walk through it. And it helps us to walk through the pain without losing hope and without losing trust. We need people. God made us for relationship. Now, in in the office out here, we have a, a table that we call the extrovert table. We do. You know, everybody goes in their office and they do their work. And, and, and then as the day goes on, people just start coming out. And pretty soon, people are just, everybody's gathered around that one table. And they're still doing their work. But they're just together because they don't want to be by themselves in their office. So they come to the table, the common table or the extrovert table. Because it's not good to be alone. One of the most harmful aspects of COVID has been the forced isolation. Loneliness in the world is at an all-time high. When you say yes to Jesus, it would be fair for you to expect that you're also saying no or goodbye to loneliness. Because saying yes to Jesus You can be sure of this. He will never leave you. He's promised it. He will never leave you. He has invited you, actually, into his family. Into his family. This is community. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. Peter says, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. He doesn't say love each other deeply, except when someone sins. No, he says love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. There's that grumbling thing again. Each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... He should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Y'all, it's easier to trust in community. That's why God has made us a family. 
Fourth way that we learn to, fourth way that we learn to trust is through encounter. Through encounter. Carl Rayner says, in the days ahead, you will be a mystic. One who has experienced God or nothing at all. In the days that lie ahead, you will become a mystic, one of those who experiences God or nothing at all. Because if Christianity is merely an ethic, a moral code, or a philosophy of life, it will not withstand the suffering that is to come. Encounter is not for a select few. Encounter is not for those that we read about in the Bible or that we read about in history, the giants of the faith. Encounter is God's desired norm for all of us. Do y'all know that churches used to, and, and some still do, have a communion rail? You know what the communion rail is for? To protect the Holy of Holies. The communion rail originally was put to keep you out, to protect the Holy of Holies from your sin. It was like we built churches that put this rail up that said, stay back. And the posture of God has never been stay back. The posture of God is come closer. Come closer. Lean in. God is more than we can know. His glory is incomprehensible and unapproachable. He is completely other. And yet he draws near to us, leans towards us, and says, could you get a little closer? Could you come a little nearer? You can't really know God without experiencing him. Jesus assured us of two things. Promises and presence. Promises and presence. Read through the scripture, the promises that he made. But don't miss this. One of the greatest promises of all. I will never leave you. I will be with you always. The Dutch theologian Edward Schilbeck said, Christianity is not a message which has to be believed but an experience that becomes a message. The disciples, the message that they gave was, y'all, we saw him. He's risen. You want to know how we know? We saw him. We experienced him. We were with him. We saw his glory. Personal encounter with Jesus will change your image of God. Just like it did Thomas. Thomas was a doubter. That's what we call him. I'm, I'm a little resentful, really, that Thomas has been known as a doubter forever throughout history. And then my mom says, why don't we name him Thomas? Because we never think about what Thomas did after Thomas was a doubter. He wanted to see proof. And so Jesus said, 
Come closer. I'll show you. Want to touch my hands? You know, what Pete, you know what Thomas did after that? He took the gospel everywhere he could. If you go to India, you'll see so many churches called St. Thomas because Thomas took the gospel to India. There's a church in India today because Thomas believed. So we can probably stop calling him doubter. The more you know him, the more you will trust him. The more you trust him, the more you will walk in joy, even when life is difficult. Trusting God doesn't guarantee that the fog will lift. It may not. All the more reason to trust him. If he is who he says he is, if he's able to do what he says he's able to do, if he loves us the way he says he loves us, we should trust him. I'm going to close today with a poem that my wife gave me yesterday. And I'm going to go ahead and ask our ministry teams to come and get into place. And we'll go straight into a time of ministry after I read this. So it was like this. I asked for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all men, most richly blessed. Lord, I pray that today as we draw near to you and and you draw near to us, that we would move deeper into the place of trust. What, what do we have in this life if, if we don't trust you? Help us, Lord. We, we declare to, to you today, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Our teams are here. They love to pray for people. They would love to pray for you. If, if uh, you're here today and you have uh, a prayer need of any kind, I encourage you to come, especially if trust is something you struggle with, uh, if joy is something that has been absent for a while. I encourage you to come.